Welcome to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio, a program for teens and almost teens to better understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant in their lives. And it's a place where your questions about faith and religion can be answered. And now, here's your host, Deacon Al. Thank you, John, and welcome to Good News. I am Deacon Al with the Peoria Diocese. I'm a permanent deacon working here in the Bloomington Normal area and throughout the Diocese of Peoria. And uh, happy to come here to Catholic Spirit Radio Saturday and Sunday evenings and talk to you about the readings of the Mass and how they affect us in our life today. And they do. And I think a lot of people, as they as they listen to Scripture, there's a lot of ways to listen to Scripture, um, a lot of different levels to listen on. You can listen to the historical value of it. What's it telling us about life in the the day that, that the scripture takes place. Uh, you can think about it on a, on a level of a spiritual level of what is the lesson uh, that Jesus is telling them at that time or the prophets are sharing at that time. What, what's the spiritual change they're trying to enact? But uh, there's also, even though these, these scriptures are thousands of years old, there's the level of how does it affect me today? How is this active in my life, and it always is, and it still is, even after thousands of years, uh, this is still pertinent to uh, all of us each and every day. And I, I learn something from Scripture uh, every day that I read it, and, and I try and find something that I can store in the forefront of my thoughts as, as I go through the day to, to try and live out that aspect of, of the teachings of Christ uh, for that day. And that's why... Uh, when you when you come to mass or whatever church service you go to, um, I, I recommend uh, consider bringing a, a notepad with you or bring a Bible with you and follow along with the readings. If you bring your Bible or your, your own missalette, uh, and make make notes in it uh, as you hear the homilist uh, speak. Uh, make notes about what they're saying about that reading uh, because there's there's good meat in there for you to chew on for a while and and to digest later and to go back to uh, when you have questions. And every so often I see that, I'll see someone journaling uh, during during the Mass, and I think that's great. As long as you're not doing Sudoku or the crossword puzzle, if you're actually journaling uh, to, to the Scripture and to the homilies, uh, it's a great thing to do because you should be thinking, not just sitting there. It, it's not a passive listening. Uh, when when you're at church, it should be an active listening. Uh, my, my favorite I don't know if I'd call it a hobby, but my favorite way to enjoy Scripture is by picking out uh, a character uh, within that Scripture reading and placing myself in the Scripture. And it's not always the main character. Sometimes it's one of the side characters, uh, one of the side actors, to think about what am I, what am I feeling right now? What am I thinking? Um, and I'll go so far as to what's the weather like? Am I hot? Am I cold? Am I soaking wet? Am I freezing? Am I hungry? Uh, take, for instance, uh, the the reading about the uh, the miracle of the uh, fishes and loaves. Uh, these people are out in the desert, sitting on a mountainside. We're not talking about in a in a forest glade or anything. They're sitting out in full sun uh, in the Middle East all after all morning and afternoon, listening uh, to Jesus preach. Uh, this is a hot, sweaty crowd of people. I mean, over five thousand men alone. And that wasn't counting women and children. It's a big crowd. And they're listening to one person talk all morning and afternoon, and it's getting to be time for dinner. And these people are really, really, really hungry. So it's not like when food comes around, they're going to take a little nibble 
and say, I'm okay. So when it came to the, the uh, feeding them, and all they had were these uh, few fish and these few little loaves. I mean, when we talk about the loaves they're talking about are about the size of, of, that you would hold in your hand. So very small. And you think you're going to feed over 5,000 really hungry, uncomfortable people with just that amount of food. And somebody say, well, what, what actually happened was they all just ate a little bit. No, that's not what happened. That, 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 wouldn't, be, that wouldn't be human a human reaction. They're hungry. And they came to be fed. And a lot of them are, fed, are, are thinking fed physically, where Jesus is, is saying, you know, hopefully you came for the bread of life, not, not these few loaves of bread. So when they follow him afterwards, um, everybody thinks it's great that these crowds are starting to follow Jesus. They're really into what he's saying. And Jesus says, no, they're, they're not coming for my food. They're just coming for some food. They're coming because I fed them physically. And they're hungry people. That's why they're following me. He realizes that he's not getting thousands of followers in, in one sitting just because they, they're buying into the gospel. Now, eventually they do, but it takes the resurrection to make that transition. So just put yourself in the place. What's actually happening to these people at that moment? And when you do that, then the words of Scripture start to make more sense uh, because you start to understand them in the way that they were understood at the moment, but you also understand now how they reflect on the teachings of Christ. And so you you get knowledge of the scriptures at these multiple levels, and it makes them really intricate and, and really fascinating. And I just, I find that in, in the case in, in pretty much every scripture reading. So this weekend, we'll be hearing from uh, the prophet Isaiah again. Uh, this, by the way, this is the 21st Sunday of Ordinary Time. So time is really flying. It's it's amazing. I mean, here we are at the end of August, and we're just maybe, well, we're about 12 weeks away from the start of Advent. Christmas is coming up fast, just really fast. Uh, I mean, end of August, that means we're not even into Halloween, so the Christmas decorations are up at the stores, right? Everything's, everything's already happening. By Christmas, they're doing Valentine's Day for, for a week, and then they're into St. Patrick's Day. And the re- I come from I come from the retail world, and uh, the calendar goes even faster in the retail world than it does in the in the liturgical world of being clergy. But uh, it's just it's it's fun. I, I I love the pace of of both, but it's it's fun to see. It's fun to count our our, our days as we come closer to to Advent, and that's what ordinary means. It's it's counting. It's not ordinary in, in that it's every day. It's ordinary as in an ordinary number. So we're counting our way into the great feasts of the church, uh, that being uh, Easter and Christmas. So this is the 21st week of Ordinary Time. We've got, like I say, about 12 weeks left uh, before we head into uh, Advent. A lot of things happening at your church. Get your church bulletin. Uh, Be aware of what's being done in, in your congregation, in your parish, because there's a lot of people, laity and clergy alike, who, do, who are doing their best to uh, to give you programs to help you grow in your relationship with Christ, and that takes a, it takes a lot of effort. There's a lot of forethought into these things. There's a lot of uh, investment in uh, personal time, uh, personal uh, resources uh, to make these events happen. And so you should know what's going on in your in your community, in your faith community, and you should be a part of that. You should do at least one thing a month outside of, of your regular Sunday uh, observance. 
uh, whether that's whether you uh, teach religious education or maybe you sing in the choir or you help on the welcoming committee or you attend um, a, a course on scripture study, but you should be doing a, a minimum every, and this is everyone. And to be honest with you, we see it. It's about 7% of the congregation. And that's not just in our congregation. That's pretty much the national average in any congregation. About 7% of the congregation participates in activities outside of Sunday worship. That's, that's a horrible number. And it's always been a horrible number. It was a horrible number before Vatican II 50 years ago. It's a horrible number now. Uh, it's always been that, that parishes like towns are, are often, uh, events are often done by the same small group of people that they, and they do this work as part of their ministry for the greater group. And a lot of people don't even realize just your Sunday service, whether it's mass or, or a worship service, if you're a Protestant, there's a lot to go that goes into that service than just the clergy showing up. There's a lot of time and background work being done by, by laity, by your brothers and sisters uh, to make that worship meaningful to you. And you should be helping with that in some small way. It's not outrageous to ask you to do one thing a month. If, if you were a parent, would you think it outrageous to ask your child to do one task for the good of the household a month? A month? You know, do one thing. Spend, spend a couple hours cleaning your room once a month. No parent would think that would be outrageous. Would every child want to do it? No. But we're not children. We're, we're adults in our faith community. We should be able to see the value and the need for being part of that family for the good of the family. Even if it's, even if it's a slight distraction to what you want to do, you, you belong to a community. You have a responsibility. We all have a responsibility to help our community. I mean, can you imagine what kind of a relationship I would have with my wife if I agreed, uh, honey, I'll, I'll do a chore once a month for you. You got the rest. I'll, I'll be active in our home once a month. Yeah, that's not going to make for a very good relationship. And yet we think nothing of saying to Christ, I understand that the church is your body on earth. It's you. It's, it's the continuation of your ministry on earth. And I think that's great. And I want to be in a relationship with you. So tell you what, um, I'll consider doing something for you once a month. Okay. Won't that, won't that be big of me? And what kind of relationship with Christ do you think you're going to have? And yet we have 93% of our, of, of the people in our, in our faith communities that do nothing on a monthly basis. Oh, we see them at, we see them at Christmas. We see them at Easter. You know, every now and then they'll show up for a, for a dinner or something or, or bingo or a dance or a concert. But, uh, maybe outside of the Sunday worship service, maybe they do something twice, twice a year. That's no exaggeration. I mean, do, do I think, would, would I say that 90% of a parish does something twice a year outside of the mess? No, not even close. I, I would guess maybe 15, 20% would be a fairly liberal guess at it. Uh, and it's fun. These are nice people. You have nice people in your faith community. Spend some time with them. Just like you spend some time here 
uh, with me on, on good news. And I'd like to invite you to be part of our radio program by sending in your questions about Catholicism uh, or about Christianity. You don't even have to be Catholic. You don't even have to be a Christian. But if you have a question about why we do what we do or how we do things, I'd be happy to uh, answer your questions here on the air. You can write me at goodnews at catholicspiritradio.com. That's our email address, goodnews at catholicspiritradio.com. And we'll be happy to answer your questions on air and uh, have a little interaction uh, here on the program. We're going to talk about our readings, uh, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our, Our readings this weekend on the 21st Sunday of Ordinary Time come from the prophet Isaiah again, uh, a letter of Paul to the Romans, uh, same we had last week, and our uh, gospel is still from Matthew. Uh, We're in the A cycle of three cycles. We have an A cycle, B cycle, C cycle uh, each liturgical year in the church. So this year we're in A cycle, which is largely Matthew, and every now and then we'll hear from John, but it's it's mostly Matthew. And then, uh, and of course, a lot of our second readings on Sunday are going to be from the epistles of Paul, sometimes Peter, sometimes James, but mostly Paul. And our uh, first reading is almost almost always uh, from a prophet uh, and sometimes uh, Revelation. Uh, the other day we heard from Kings. So a little bit of variation, but, but largely on Sundays we're hearing from the prophets. And so this reading is from a reading from uh, the book of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 22. Thus says the Lord to Shebna, master of the palace, I will thrust you from your office and pull you down from your station. On that day, I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hikiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and gird him with your sash and give over to him your authority. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. I will place the key of the house of David on Eliakim's shoulder. When he opens, what he opens, no one shall shut. When he shuts, no one shall open. And I will fix him like a peg in a sure spot to be a place of honor for his family, the word of the Lord. So what Isaiah is saying right now to a very bad king of, of the uh, Israelites, he's saying, you think you're, you think you're the, the be-all, end-all, that you're king, and I want to remind you who and what made you king. And so he's telling him that, that God, the real king, the true king, the king over all kings, has had it with him, and now he's going to... Uh, He's going to be ripped from office. That's going to have, he's going to be overthrown, actually, by Eliakim, who, uh, who is favored by God, is going to overthrow Shebna and take over as, as ruler of, of Jerusalem. And he's going to be a good king. He's, he's going to be a God-fearing king and bring the people back to right worship uh, with, with the help of, of the prophet Isaiah. So he reminds them and he reminds us who's really in control. How often do we see with politicians uh, that they think they're the, they're the actual power? There, there is no power in this universe other than power shared by God. Anybody who's in power is only there by God. He can remove anybody at, at any time. Uh, unfortunately, he doesn't always do that when we'd like him to. Uh, there, there are times where we'd say, okay, we've had enough of this guy. Uh, isn't it time God did something about this? But God works sometimes through us, and we don't always do our share in, in the way of controlling tyrants in our lives. The, the, uh, politicians or, or it, it's some other action, uh, some other spot in our lives. But Isaiah is, is reminding the king uh, who the real power in the universe is, and it's, it's not him. 
and that he's soon going to be replaced. In Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, Paul tells the Romans, Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How inscrutable are his judgments and how unsearchable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given the Lord anything that he may be repaid? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. The word of the Lord. So again, Paul, like as Isaiah is reminding us, who's the, who's the actual master in this universe? Who's the actual king of kings? Uh, and, and the fact is, we don't know God that well. We only know what he's revealed to us. But we don't know everything about God, and we certainly don't know his limits. Uh, we've certainly never seen any anything that he has limits on. And yet we we tend to we tend to force our own human limits on God, saying, Well, God can't do this, or God can't do this, or we question him, why doesn't God do this? Or why God why doesn't God do that? And we we forget that we don't see we don't see lives our lives or the life of the world in the same perspective, in the same scope that God sees it in. Now you're talking about an all-knowing, all-present, all-benevolent God who doesn't live in just our time and space, but lives in all time and space. What seems to us like a long lingering uh, burden in, in the, in the scope of, of God's existence takes place for a fraction of of a moment, just a fraction in time, a a very small slice in it. And so we we tend to make too big a thing out of our burdens by thinking they go on way too long, even if they last years, when we forget that, you know, a, a year to us is but a moment to God. But it's the overall picture that he looks at. And and that's why it's it's so important not to be overwhelmed by corporal distractions, by by the pleasures or the problems of this lifetime. Because what we forget to look past is our own death into the everlasting life that comes next. We, we can't really see beyond our own mortality. Uh, it, since we can't sense it, since we, we don't know anyone who's experienced that other than Christ, and that was 2,000 years ago, uh, we we forget the limits to who we are, and and we forget about the limitlessness of God, and that's what Paul's trying to remind us of. Uh, don't don't short sell God's abilities or God's knowledge or God's wisdom. And when we say, "Why does God do this?" we don't know. We don't always have an answer to that. What we do know is that God is all loving, that this is a merciful, kind God, and that eventually. There will be justice. And that's what he explains to us in, in the Beatitudes, that, yeah, there's going to be challenges in this life. We all have things in life in this life that drive us a little crazy. And if, if you don't have that now, don't worry, you will. <laughs> we will all have burdens in our life. That's just part of life. And, and part of it is, uh, in fact, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm very fearful of this. I am fearful of what burden God might give me. I I for the most part, have had a very blessed life. And I have people who look at my life and say, yeah, but look what you've been through with you know, the, the premature birth of your son or the financial burdens that you've overcome and you know, joblessness and things of that sort and where you've been and where you are. 
And I thought, well, those, those didn't last long. Okay, I was unemployed for six months, which at the time seemed like forever. But it was just, I'd look back now and eh, six months goes pretty fast. You know, I, I know people who are, are seriously ill for a year or two years or three years. And that seems like forever. But they don't, they don't actually stay ill forever. At some point, they either get well in this life or they get well in the next. So there's, there's, always, there's always a cure at the end. And, and, that's, and I'm not trying to be cold about that or, or, or sound uh, heartless about illness, uh, but let's look at, at the truth of God's love, is that he is, he is so uh, beneficial to people who have difficulties in this life that he promises us that things will be better in the next. And then he shows us evidence of that through Christ. If, if you look at the, the terrible torment, I mean, I've been through a lot in my life. No one's ever nailed me to a cross. No one's ever beaten me until the flesh hung off of my bone. You know, I've never been, I've never been mugged by a crowd or threatened to be stoned to death. I mean, my, my burdens have been fairly light. It's an easy yoke. Even though there are some burdens, it hasn't been anywhere near what Christ was willing to face for me. And yet, he resurrected. And he went back to his apostles and said, look, I'm, I'm okay now, and this is what waits for you. Death has no sting. You know, I've overcome that. So, no matter what burdens we've been through, that battle's been fought and won. And now, we, it's, it's our job to, to take our journey to follow in those footsteps of Christ. And yes, there will be burdens, and, and we're expected to get through them. With Christ's help, we can. If you try and do it alone, you're, we're going to be miserable. But if we do it through, through uh, walk that path with Christ, uh, you'll find that, that, that our burdens are, are temporary and light. And, and Paul's just saying, look, you have a wondrous God. You cannot imagine what, what he's capable of. In our, in our final uh, reading for the Sunday, in our gospel from Matthew, this is Matthew 16, Matthew writes, Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said in reply, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him in reply, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly ordered his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ, the gospel of the Lord. So Christ means the anointed one. Uh, Christ is the Greek word for uh, the same as uh, Messiah. The, the Hebrew word for anointed is Messiah. In Greek, it's, it's Christ. They mean the same thing. So here the Jews are waiting for the Messiah, the Christ. And now the apostles realize, fully understand now, that this is who they've been with, not just a prophet, not just a healer, 
not just a good man, but the but God incarnate, the Son of God, the, the Christ, the Messiah. But he's not ready for this to be fully revealed yet. But he wants to make sure the apostles know, because as Jesus asked the question, and I think it's a great question, because it shows, for one reason, it shows Jesus' humanity. He was curious. I think he was actually curious about what's being said out there, because I'm, I'm with you guys, but you guys are out there among everyone. So what, what are the crowds saying? What are they thinking? So I think he's really curious about how his message is being received. And what he's finding out is that for the most part, people think, yeah, he's, a, he's a good guy, he's a prophet, he's got good stuff to say. You know, he's, he's, he's definitely a, a favored uh, person in, uh, in, um, among us, a fa- favored among God. Uh, and he does some neat stuff. I love, I love the fish and loaves thing he did. The, you know, some of the other, the, the healing of the leper, that was cool, right? So he does some neat parlor tricks. It's probably what a lot of people were thinking. That's certainly what the Pharisees and the scribes were thinking, that, that, that he was a demon doing this. Well, demons don't do good things. So if he was a demon, he would be giving people leprosy, not taking leprosy away. Uh, and, and what we're really seeing in Scripture with, with things like the blindness and the leprosy that he's healing, it's spiritual blindness, our own spiritual blindness that, that Christ has come to heal, our own spiritual leprosy, sin that corrodes our, our soul. That, that Christ is is healing, and so uh, so we're seeing through the prophets this question of, of uh, through the apostles of the question, who do you say I am? And that's important because that's a question that that Jesus is still curious about today. He's asking that, us that today. This question and answer period that's modeled by Jesus and the disciples doesn't end in Matthew's gospel. This this dialogue to. For every believer under heaven, even for all eternity, Jesus is curious about our response as to who he is. He wants the best for us in, in our pain and in, in our loneliness and our burdens, in our, in our ill health and our aging. But he, he wants us to be just as curious about him as he is about us. He, he wants this, this sharing of our hearts so that, that we can we can understand that his dying and, and, and his resurrection, what that was all about, what was that for? He, he wants us to find within our hearts this place where we really need him as our Savior, not just as a wise man or as a, a fascinating prophet or someone who did nice things for, for people or to people. He, he wants us to desire him as Christ, as our Savior. And, and our response, if, if we're truthful, has to flow from, from our humility, from realizing, as Paul said, that God is, Christ is far more than we can imagine uh, and far more above any limits we could possibly place on him through our own human limitations. And, and understand that we need his grace and we need his mercy and we need his forgiveness because the burdens we have and the problems that not only that we take on, but problems we create ourselves, cannot be solved without Christ in our lives. So the question I leave you with till next weekend is, think about Jesus Christ and who do you say he is? And may Almighty God bless you, protect you from all evil, and bring you to everlasting life.
Good night. You've been listening to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio, a program for teens and almost teens to better understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant in your life. Submit your questions to Deacon L at goodnews at catholicspiritradio.com. That's goodnews at catholicspiritradio.com. Deacon will answer your questions about faith and religion. Thank you for listening to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio.